Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Minute where we take careful aim at Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 50, which begins with Max continuing his run towards the compound, pursued by even more raiders than before, and it ends with Max blaring the Mack truck's horn to alert the compound of his imminent arrival. So today is Friday, and every Friday we find fresh eyes to bring into the conversation, and this week in particular we have found possibly the freshest eyes of them all, and those eyes belong to Adam and Jake from the Dark Knight Minute. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going? Howdy. (laughs) It is good to have you both here, and for the listeners that may have never heard the Dark Knight Minute before, tell us a little about yourselves. Well, we are pretty fresh as a podcast. We only have... 11 episodes out right now. I'm Adam, the creator. I'm the one who started it all and brought Jake in because he's a really funny guy and he lightens up our episodes a fair bit because we've had him not on a couple of times and it gets kind of (laughs) heavy. Let's just say I'm a light in a dark, dark world. (laughs) You definitely are. I try. Um, Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, so what attracted you guys to the Dark Knight trilogy? Well, we... We That's both, a loaded question. It is very loaded. We both really, really like it. I've been a Movies by Minutes fan for a long time. I've been listening to a fair few of them, and I started thinking, I want to do one of these. I think it would be a lot of fun. And I started looking, and there was a lot already taken. But as I was looking, I realized the Dark Knight trilogy hadn't been, and I'm like, oh, that's perfect, because I love that trilogy a lot. And my brother, who sadly couldn't be with us today, he is quite the Batman man nerd so i talked to him about it we're like yep we're gonna do this got jake on board and just started rolling with it you know i came in as like this random third option person because um i met adam through some mutual friends they're like oh we're doing this podcast i'm like oh that sounds like fun i would do that and then all of a sudden it's like jake do you want to be on like yeah sure let's do this thing and that's really how it went down for me to be on the podcast nice but um, for us, for us, for for me, the Dark Knight trilogy, um, I've always been a Batman fan. You know, I grew up. There was two sets of toys that I had. I had my Batman toys. I had my Ninja Turtle toys. And you know, I I've always loved it. I remember just growing up watching Batman the animated series. Still love that show. I I still watch it till his day. And still so holds up. Um, still still holds up. Still holds up. Kevin Conroy's voice is just legendary in that show. And Mark Hamill as the Joker. But you know, it's just when that came out because The Dark Knight came out when I was in high school. Just to kind of show that I'm a youngin. <laughs> and so like just like that whole movie just blew my mind away. And the second one came out while I was in a foreign land, so I wasn't able to watch it for about two years. And then I came back and I watched that and I like about pooped my pants because I was like, this is so good. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then um, when it came out, because so, I had like all the individual movies on you know DVD, then like when it came out in a Blu-ray collection set, I'm like, okay, I'm getting that one. And then she's like, well, we already have these. My wife was saying, we already have these. I'm like, no, no, we don't. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a giant nerd in that aspect. Aspect. Um, but you know, that's something that we have been doing and it's just it's something that I enjoy and 
And it lets it lets my inner geek flag fly. Yep, we fly it proudly. Nice. I mentioned earlier that you are probably the freshest eyes that we've had on this show. What are each of your histories with Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior, just to share with the listeners? I have not seen any Mad Max at all, except for the five minutes of this week. So I have very fresh eyes on this, and it's interesting to come in with no context and only see five minutes of a movie. I've, I've seen it... Um... I think maybe a, once or twice. Um, I remember the first time seeing it when I was, like I said, about 13. My brother's very is very big into movies, and so he had has a giant 80s movies collection. He said, "Hey, let's watch this movie." I'm like, "Okay, I'm the youngest brother. I'll watch whatever you say." <laughs> and so we started watching it, and about two minutes before the movie ends, my mom comes in. What are you watching? And slapped us both. And then, Turned it off. Oh. And then I watched it down the road later on and then watched all of it in its entirety. But this time I was older, so I didn't get slapped when I watched it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when it comes to The Road Warrior, if you're not watching a TV edit, probably not safe for kids. <laughs> just, a, just a smidgen. Yeah. Because we see this in our minute as well. Exactly. Yes. I think that's a, a good point for us to jump into this minute proper. We start off with a nice high angle of the action that's happening below us. It is the Mack truck that Max is driving, and he has just passed another raider camp. He's got a bunch of marauders behind him. But there is one marauder in particular that I wanted to point out in this opening shot. And that little guy perched on the back of Max's truck is Wes. And he did a death-defying jump from a motorcycle to the back of this truck yesterday. And he's pretty much going to hang out on the back of the cab for pretty much all of today. And going minute by minute and day by day, it's going to be very easy to forget that he's back there because a lot of the action is going to be focused ahead of the truck but that's just going to make his reappearance next week even more surprising when we get to it now when we when you watch a movie minute by minute sometimes when you when you really break things down it's like oh yeah west is actually back there (laughs) (laughs) it's just like one of those things it's like who's going to be those kinds of people that break it down minute by minute no one will do that kind of scrutiny Mm mm-hmm but lo and behold, there's a whole community that does. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I, it's just coming into that. Um, I, you know, you look at it was, and you look at all the guys surrounding, especially the Mohawks. You have them wearing football pads, and I'm like, those are very, very menacing football pads. I should get me some and just walk around town, <laughs> see what people say. <laughs> See if they give me those kind of looks. I don't. I don't think I could go with a full mohawk. I'll go with a faux hawk, and then just just walk around town, give people evil eyes, and see what happens. You're definitely welcome to try. We're we're not going to stop you. No, certainly not. <laughs> if he does, I will definitely get a video and share it. <laughs> Although, if you're going to go with the shoulder pads and a faux hawk, you have to do the chaps too. It's a whole package. <laughs> Can I at least wear a t-shirt underneath so I don't have to have my big belly hanging out? I'll I'll rock them chaps if I have to. Oh, boy. But, you know, it's just kind of funny. Like, yeah, you see them all kind of attacking Max at this moment. Good old Mel Gibson before he went crazy. (laughs) At least that we know of. Yep. (laughs) I just am amazed at how young he looks here. I don't think I was very familiar with him until he was a little older. And I saw him. I'm like, wow. He looks so young here. Well, that's how, you know, we do the Dark Knight Minute. That's how I feel about Christian Bale when you see him in Newsies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Back when he was all concerned about Santa Fe. Yep. You know, he just just couldn't quite get there. (sighs) Things kept getting in his way. Yep. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) 
It happens, right? It happens. The next shot we see after this wide, high angle is the Lord Humongous, and he is sitting on the edge of his truck, and he's got this large spatula blade-looking thing, and he's kind of drawing in the dirt, or at least that's what it looks like to me. And I would like to think that as he's sitting there poking around in the dirt and the rocks that he's got a little model of the compound that he's made using the rocks, and then he's dug a little moat around it, and he's sitting there trying to formulate a plan on how to best attack them. Wow, I thought he was just fixing his boot. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's out in the desert he's a little bit bored you know he's just like how can i make my outfit more sexy and he's like he couldn't figure it out so he started drawing in the dirt yeah <laughs> brainstorming well he is wearing a fur shawl yeah in this scene he's doing that john snow cosplay before john snow was ever a thing yeah mm. <laughs> Yes, but he's doing it in such a fashion that just makes it's a Jon Snow that's in S into S and M, I think, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's just it's just kinda of like yeah, he's kinda of sitting there. I thought he was just like hanging out, being bored, you know? Just I, I I guess I didn't look in depth enough into that what he was doing. I was kinda of distracted by the straps. <laughs> Well, aren't we all? It, do you think he has a strapless number as well? A strap, a strapless outfit. The main issue that I think the Lord Humongous faces with his strapped outfit is that it would create strange tan lines, and so I feel like he would have to have either a separate set of leather bikini briefs without the straps so that he can get a more even tan, mm. or those straps must be, I would say, removable for practical reasons. They just clip on, like, suspenders. Yeah, I'd, I'd hope that would be the case. <laughs> I kind of imagine the opposite, that he never removes the straps. Really? So it doesn't matter if he has tan lines. Well, I mean, that's a good point. It like his helmet. Like, he never takes off his helmet you know you will never give people the opportunity to point out your tan lines if you never change what you're wearing i just i i'm white so i don't tan i just burn so it'd be my burn lines but that's just me i think lord humongous has the same problem that you do because he is awfully pink oh yeah he is he's getting burning. progressively pinker the longer this movie goes on and the actor who's playing the lord humongous he is a large swedish man and so he doesn't necessarily come from a part of the world that is known for being healthily tanned. <laughs> As we're sitting here watching the Lord Humongous fiddle around in the dirt, we get to get a really good look at the truck that he's sitting on. And a couple of details stand out to me. First of all, the very angular and plain lines on the truck gives the real impression that this was put together by amateurs even though it was made by a professional art team for the movie. But aside from the very flat surfaces, you've also very clearly got at least three NOS tanks on the side to boost the engine performance. You've got a giant flail made out of, I'm assuming, engine parts stuck to the side. And it even looks above the handle of the flail like he's got a short sword that's mounted to the side of the car. This wagon, this battle wagon that the Lord Humongous drives around is really kitted out something fierce. Well, you know, I think this is actually the prequel to Fast and the Furious. Because <laughs> that's just what it sounds like. He's fast, he's furious, and he's got all kinds of fun toys. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, toys including two captives who are still strapped to the front of his truck. 
You know, I'm glad you brought those up, Julia, because in front of those two captives are two raiders. One of them is holding a big old plate. Yes. And there's one holding the plate and the one standing next to him is reaching up underneath the hood of one of those captives to force feed him. But those okay, captives... I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I mean, I knew that they were being fed, but I didn't notice two marauders there, like, mm-hmm. forcing them to eat. Yeah. Oh. The way those captives are hanging, though... I think they might already be dead. I think yes. they might have either starved or just, you know, that thing where if you can't hold yourself up, it like makes it hard to breathe. Right. The way their arms are being pulled behind them, there are breathing issues. Yeah, it can suffocate you for sure. Yeah. That's suffocation. That's not a problem, right? People can come back from that. <laughs> That's not a slow, painful death, is it? No, it's just like, it's just, you just go to, you just go to sleep. Sleep. Yeah. Just take a nice nap. Right. They might have already been unconscious far before death from heat stroke or something. Yeah. Now, it's hard to tell in the movie what time of year it's supposed to be. Some people are dressed very scantily, while other people are very very covered in real world when they were filming this it was i'm not sure if it was full-blown winter but it was chilly outside yeah it was australian winter so what would be summertime for us in there in the north america and if i remember right from when i looked up the temperature ranges for outside silverton broken hill that general area i think the yearly average low was about 40 degrees fahrenheit Ooh, so they are pretty chilly then yes, yes. in some of those scant clad outfits they probably are not having much fun no. well they probably they probably have the same issue that early 90s batman had they had bat nipples <laughs> <laughs> they were just pointy and ready to like do some damage you're just never gonna let that one go are you i hate the bat nipples <laughs> <laughs> love the movie. Love the 89 and 90 movie, but the bat nipples. It's just, it's just wrong. <laughs> oh, oh that's definitely a detail we've never considered watching this movie. Because we like to tell the funny anecdote about how George Miller would use Vernon Wells' general temperature as an indicator of when they needed to stop filming and let everybody warm up. I think in uh, either Road War or the DVD commentary, he talks about how if Vernon Wells' backside was starting to turn blue to an extent that was more than usual, then more that's when usual. they would call for a stop. <laughs> did, he, did he hold up like, a, you know, paint swatches? He's like, oh, yep, you're, <laughs> you're definitely stop. a shade of blue. Time to stop. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of which, do you think I should paint my house this color? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just. That, that it's just these are the things that you don't quite know what unless you're involved in movies like the in-depth detail and how long people are doing or the temperature and it's just like i'm glad i work in an office if i get cold i just have to put on a jacket yep life's great <laughs> but then i also don't get paid millions of dollars to do what they do so then again i'm like life's kind of crappy that way too <laughs> but i'll take comfort over the money so that's just me certainly one person that surprisingly they never brought up the discomfort of is the lord among us because he's wearing by far the least out of all of them well we did talk oh, yeah. about him being from the you know nordic countries so his blood might be a little thicker yeah he's probably like this is shorts weather what are you talking about let's go, hang out. Let's go grab a guy's cold beer and just like you know let it all hang out literally <laughs> So as I mentioned before, the Lord Humongous is sitting there and he's drawing in the dirt. He hears the truck coming from a distance. And so he snaps to attention, leaps to his feet, and then he runs a little bit towards the camera. But he doesn't necessarily run in the fashion that I would imagine a post-apocalyptic desert warlord to run. He 
Why did I describe it the other day, Julia? He prances? He prances. He's light on his feet. He does a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, he kind of runs on the balls of his feet. Well, he couldn't just saunter over there. You know, he had to spring up and it's like, you know, sachet. He had to (laughs) show off his straps and be like, I'm here, I'm fabulous, but what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) You look at a guy that size and you would imagine that any time he would move quickly that he would almost stomp leading with his heel. Maybe because you said he had kind of a rock design in the ground that you thought might be the compound. Maybe he's just trying to tiptoe around it so he doesn't mess up his plan that he's drawn in the sand. That is an excellent point. He came up, he worked really hard to come up with this great strategy and record it and he doesn't want to mess it up. (laughs) Oh, gotta save this for later. Yeah, I know that no one stomps on his sandcastles, okay? <laughs> but, you know, it's just kind of funny. Like, yeah, he does. He comes up to the camera and you get a kind of that close up of his face. And, you know, you kind of look at his eyes and they're all kind of blacked out, kind of like very dark. Yeah. Because, like, I really looked at his face and, like, well, what I could see of it and then, like, his patchy hairdo. But I just want to know, it's like, where did those dark guys come from? Yeah. Sometimes that Lord Humongous, he looks into you, right into you, right into your eyes. You know, the thing about the Lord Humongous, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. And he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. <laughs> You're just reminding me of my grandma's house with all the dolls that she had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, the eyes, the eyes follow you everywhere. Memories, huh? <laughs> it's interesting to look at the close-up of his eyes, though, because... And I actually went back to minute 35 when we first saw a closer view of the Lord Humongous' face. And yeah, his pupils and his irises are a very dark color in that scene, too. And so it's wild to just get this really close up on him and see just those black voids in his face. It it really adds to his mystique. And then as you look at the skin around his eyes, it looks really weird and kind of almost scarred Mm -hmm. to a point. And it it adds more to that mystery. What happened to this guy's face? What is is going on? These black eyes with the scars. He's in the pit in Nanda Parbat. This is actually Bane. (laughs) (laughs) There's the tie-in. Figured it out. There you go. You know, you look at his face. He also has like that weird kind of like leather thing around his neck. And it's just like, what's the practical use of that? Is that is that just what he just ties his straps to so that his straps stay up? It's very similar to a neck brace that he's wearing, mm. something that's very supportive in nature. I feel like the Lord Humongous actually shares an issue with his costume that Christian Bale experiences in the later parts of your guys' movie, Batman Begins, where it's very difficult for him. Where he can't turn his head. <laughs> exactly, to turn his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got he's yeah. to swivel to look left, swivel to look right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just one of those things. I know I didn't like... I just thought it was just funny because he has, like like I said, just one of the most interesting costumes in a movie that I've ever seen. Interesting is the better way to put it, right? <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. I just, That's a nice way to go. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you get that close up on his face and then you kind of, I think he realizes Max is coming for him. Oh, yeah. And so you kind of, you kind of see him go back and what was it? What, what, did we, what is he? How does he run again? He he prances. prances. He prances. So he prances. He prances back to go get something. 
Yep. But you kind of see that, that next part of it. So. Yeah, so the Lord Humongous gets real close up, and we see from his perspective that the Mac is coming his way. And so we go back to the action around the truck, where Max is driving along, and one of the raiders from the camp that he's passing decides that he's going to be proactive. He is going to be the proactive type of bad guy, and he runs to the edge of the road, and he hurls something at the glass. And I always assumed it was a rock, you know, simplest thing they're everywhere however when i really slowed it down and i took a close look at it the object that's thrown looks a bit more oblong than your typical round-ish rock and i think it might be some sort of heavy automotive tool as opposed to a rock i almost thought it was a piece of an engine or something yeah well he does the thing i got from it yeah because he does run from a vehicle so he probably had some kind of piece of an engine or piece of a car with him i would have thought it would have been a rock too because they are in the desert but you know you kind of look about where that where the marauder is coming from he is coming he's running from a vehicle to the road you know approaching the mac truck and then when he throws it it does kind of does it also looks dark so it doesn't quite look like as a rock i would say is kind of more of your gray color mm-hmm. depending on which rock you're grabbing but and then he hurls it at the the windshield and that windshield is is just like gets shattered so i could see that being more of an engine part because it just has more density and more weight to it than a rock of that size probably would so we'll go with an engine part yeah I like that. One thing that surprised me is that, yes, the the window breaks, it shatters and whatnot, but it stays together probably because of it's layers laminated. of, exactly, laminate material between the panes of glass to keep it all in one big piece. And it reminds me, back in Mad Max 1979, the first movie, there is an instance where some of the bad guys, they take a brake rotor and they throw it from the top of a large ridge and it comes down and it smashes right through a windshield and a brake rotor is obviously not the same as like a wrench or a spanner or something like that and obviously it had gravity helping out but i'm just saying that had this raider maybe picked up something like a brake rotor he probably could have smashed right through that windshield man i I wish he'd picked up a brake rotor because that would have been a fantastic callback absolutely there are so many little details windows getting smashed and whatnot that almost seem like direct callbacks to that first movie. And it really draws attention to the idea that George Miller took what he learned from Mad Max in 1979 and applied it to the Road Warrior in 1981. I could see that. You know, he's just... You kind of the downside is when you have like sequels and they're like I know that there has to be a different story and they have to be a little bit bigger and better, but it doesn't have that same I would say feeling or that same aesthetic, and so like you basically are watching two separate movies instead of one continuance. So I could definitely see that like you want to have that the intricacies, but like the continuance of honoring what came before it, but also going into something new and so that would make sense to me because like i feel like that appeals it appeals to the fanboy sense in me yeah it rewards those people that actually ran out and saw the original because a lot of people they skipped over mad max and they went straight to road warrior it's one of the reasons why internationally the movie was called mad max 2 and here in the states it was just called the road warrior and of course now we smash those two things together because you know they're all the same movie (laughs) It's true. Yep. After Max has his windshield broken, 
we get a quick shot of him like shielding his face and realizing he's okay. But the next thing we see rejoining the Lord Humongous, he opens up a wooden case and inside is a Smith & Wesson 44 caliber Model 29 revolver with a scope and an 8-inch barrel. Okay, question. Why would you put a scope on a handgun? I just don't understand. <laughs> well, so the Model 29 is actually a really popular revolver used in film. It was used by Clint Eastwood in the Dirty Harry movies, like Dirty Harry in 1971 and Magnum Force in 1973. It was used by Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver in 1976, and even Chuck Norris in... Lone Wolf McQuaid in 1983. Well, if Chuck Norris uses it, that's got to give it credit, right? Exactly. Because <laughs> Chuck Norris has no use for guns. He's Chuck Norris. So the Model 29 is just a very iconic looking weapon. And adding the scope not only makes it more iconic to the Lord Humongous, but the scope also performs the duties of a normal scope. It helps you really zero in on where you're firing. And considering that the Lord Humongous only has five rounds total, he wants to make sure that every single shot is designated to do the maximum amount of damage. Yeah, I was going to ask kind of what the significance of that gun is, because they really do focus in on that during the minute and give it some significance. And I mean, is it just that in the wasteland, there's really not much ammo. So if you're going to use it, you got to be careful with it. That's exactly why, at least as far as I'm concerned, why they focus so specifically on the Lord Among Us treating this Model 29 with such respect, because everybody in this movie so far has been using bows and arrows or crossbows or improvised inflammatory weapons. No one besides Max has any sort of firearm up to this point. Max has his shotgun, but he just barely found a shotgun shell earlier this week. And so the Lord Humongous coming out with this very pristine, very clean, very well-kept firearm is an incredibly unique thing. And it probably is one of the reasons why he was able to subjugate so many different factions into his horde. The fact that he's got this amazing symbol of old world dominance as this large handgun. Okay, that does shed some light on that for me. Yeah, he's obviously very well practiced with it because he only pulls out one round. He doesn't pull out all five and load them up. He only pulls one out, loads it very carefully, and makes very special care to aim it before ever getting close to firing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he seems to wait until the truck is as close as he's comfortable with mm -hmm. before he fires. Well, and you, yeah, he wanted a, a bigger target, and so... Yeah. From someone you can even who see... Up, oh, go ahead. So, I was, yeah, someone who grew up shooting guns, grew up doing Boy Scouts, and had a lot of friends that we'd go out and just go shoot targets. It's I've shot a similar handgun, and it, has a, it does have a lot of kick to it, and so even with the longer barrel, which kind of helps stabilize it a little bit more, so you don't... So you're able to kind of pinpoint where you want it to go. And it's just maybe I I like for me, I've never the why I asked about the scoping on the the, the handgun. I've never seen that, <laughs> at least since I've been around guns. And to me, it just kind of seems silly. <laughs> I'm So like when you brought up the points, I guess he wants to be very accurate because he want doesn't want to waste ammo. So that makes more sense because it is a powerful handgun. And so as he's getting closer, he wants to make sure that he's close enough that he hits the target and does, I would say, maximum damage. 
No pun intended. <laughs> Excellent choice well, of words. And then you even see that, you know, he's aiming for Max at the beginning, and then Max ducks down. He realizes he doesn't have the shot, and you see him adjust his aim and take a different shot because mm-hmm. he knows he's not going to get the one he wants. But, but yeah, he does adjust that shot. But right before he makes that shot, you see, you see Max trying to aim his shotgun at Lord Humongous, and it fizzles out like a bad bottle rocket yeah it's like ooh, ah and it was disappointing it's such a heartbreaking moment because max is driving up on the lord fungus he can see him up on the ridge and he can see lord humongous with that big old 44 caliber gun so max gets that windshield out of his way as fast as he can pulls out that shotgun and he is he is putting so much faith in that shotgun shell that he found earlier this week it it didn't break apart in his hand and so he had a lot of confidence in it and he points that gun out, pulls that trigger, and he gets boob kiss. <sighs> yep, he looked pretty disappointed. He little, looked so frustrated right when that happened. A little premature excitation. <laughs> he got super excited when he saw Humongous in those straps. He's like, I'm going to do this, and then nothing happened. Yep. It would have been an interesting thing to see if that shell had actually fired off the way that Max was planning on it, because he was still a pretty good distance away from the Lord Humongous, and I feel like he would have peppered the Lord Humongous enough to make him duck out of the way or cower or do something so that he's not aiming a large gun at him anymore. I wouldn't necessarily say that that shotgun shell would have done a ton of damage to a man like Humongous. Well, especially not at that, that distance. Because they're just so far away. Yeah, I-, I think it would have been a miracle if he'd hit him at all. Yeah. I mean, you might have seen a couple of BBs hit him and a couple little blood dots show up. But beyond that, I don't know if he would have even flinched taking that kind of hit. Yeah, I think the important thing that Max wanted to happen is he wanted to fire at Humongous and just shake up Humongous enough that he would put his focus elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, he. I don't think he had any illusions of winning the fight. He just wanted to get through. Exactly. Well, I feel like if he would have, like, distracted him, like, feel like, you know, you see a gun pointed at you, you point your gun back, but maybe then he could have just ran him over. He's driving a big Mack truck, so if he would have ran him over, that would have killed him. Yeah, because if you get the Humongous to flinch, then that's additional time that you can just get closer to him, but... That doesn't exactly happen. Like we said, the shell fizzles out. Max sees that he's got a gun pointed straight at him, so he dives behind the dashboard to try and shield himself. And yeah, at the last minute, the Lord Humongous just kind of dips his gun down a little bit further, and he fires into the front of the Mac. And I would like to think that the Lord Humongous shooting to disable the Mack truck is an example of him thinking more strategically. Because yes, you can use a bullet to kill one person but using that same bullet to disable a vehicle and upset the plans of all the people in the compound that seems like a better use of the bullet than just killing a single person he does seem to be a strategic thinker Mm -hmm. we've seen that before with his speech and his manipulation that went along with that speech he's strategizing he's planning for the long term and yeah we see it again here oh you know and then yeah because you see that bullet hit and then you see that steam billow out of the engine and it's like he just killed optimus prime (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying it's like someone was actually able to do it but um you know you kind of have that i'm guessing he probably hit uh i don't know what what part would they have hit he probably would hit just trying to think probably where the oh i i wrote it down and now i can't find it in my notes where where he would have hit i apologize because you see all that pressure and that hot 
steam air that would have been um probably where the coolant circulates through and i'm just i'm i'm having a the radiator the radiator yeah i'm having a very blonde moment at this time (laughs) but then like yeah he did he disabled that vehicle because he's not going to be able to drive very far with that with the engine how it is so basically at this moment you could kind of put together that max is going to be captured and put in put in prison basically in in maximum security um (laughs) (laughs) but um little play on words you know i imagine if the lord among us was able to capture max he would probably put max up on the front of his truck take one of the scouts down put max up and then max would have found himself lashed to the front of a vehicle on this crazy looking skid thing and my gosh i just can't imagine max being caught in that situation it just it would seem so bizarre to see mad max lashed to the front of a vehicle like that (laughs) (laughs) well Um, you can he it's like he can he can take his truck but he can't take his freedom right yeah (laughs) (laughs) speaking of max he pops up from behind the dashboard to see all of this steam in front of him and so he turns his wheel to drive past the lord humongous's camp as opposed to i'm sure he was thinking of driving through it but as he passes by the camp his wheel or some part of the truck clips a tent and rips the canopy from that tent and we are shown for like a good three seconds a couple of raiders that were inside that tent doing you know raider activities quote unquote (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we get to see their shocked and surprised expressions as the top of the tent is ripped away. Aside from this shot being probably the most explicit example of nudity in this movie, it's also featuring two people that in the credits are called tent lovers because they love tents so much. Well, he was pitching one. <laughs> <laughs> So dirty. The tent lovers are played by Ann Jones and James McCardell. So Ann Jones is an actress, and that is pretty much all that IMDb has to say about her. Doesn't even give her <laughs> birthday or anything like that. She is best known for the only three productions that she was in, according to IMDb. The Road Warrior, where she played Tent Lover. A 1981 movie called Center Spread, but it's fancy because center is spelled c-e-n-t-r-e spread well isn't that just like the british spelling i i don't know (laughs) it basically sounds like a porno i'm just saying i see i see i see a theme here going yeah center spread is a 1981 ozploitation movie about a jaded photographer for a sex magazine who has been commissioned to find a quote girl with a new look a different approach someone for the new century and ann jones in that movie plays shower girl so yeah it's a sex movie (laughs) (laughs) so there is a theme here all right we're tying it together and the final movie that she's known for is 1986's playing bd bow or playing bd bow where ann jones played harlot number two Uh, playing bd bow is a 1986 australian time travel drama film directed by don Donald Crombie and stars Imogen Ensley, Peter Phelps, and Moushe Phillips. The screenplay by Peter Goller and Irwin Lane is based on the novel by Ruth Park. So she has a certain set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but she can't find you and kill you, but she can spread her skills out there. <laughs> yes. And she can rock a fantastic pair of boots. Yes. I wasn't yes. looking at the boots. <laughs> It's important oh, I, to I took in the entire scene. She's got those knee-high boots 
She's still wearing, I think, was that a loincloth that she was wearing? Uh, probably. And then she's got... It's not these, really like, that kind of movie, so... She's got, like, braids and stuff in her hair. And then the guy underneath her, that's James McCardell. I know even less about him because the only thing listed on his IMDb page is his role as tent lover in this movie. I wasn't able to find any more information about him. Well, he does have a fantastic blue mohawk. Oh, certainly. Certainly. It's nice to see an example of a consensual relationship. (laughs) Yes, we have seen between the two movies, we have seen several times non-consensual relationships. Uh, So, yeah, you're right. It is nice to see a a very normal part of life happen like in the right way. Yeah, I think it also goes to show that Max's run on the camps is not necessarily a thing that anyone was expecting. Everyone is caught very unawares. Wes was getting a haircut. The Lord Humongous was making sandcastles. These folks were just loving tents. They love tents. They are tent lovers. (laughs) (laughs) You would have thought some of the commotion would have possibly alerted them that at least something was going on. And I mean, the shot from the gun, you know, there would have been at least some noise to alert you. I think the tent wasn't really that far away from Lord Humongous. Oh, no. So that was... shot should have been quite loud. Yeah, it was very close. <laughs> well, I'm guessing kind a... of, well, I'm guessing in these groups, firing guns might or loud noises probably happen quite often, I would say. Oh, yeah. Everyone's constantly working on vehicles. So I'm sure the occasional engine backfire, which, you know, sounds very similar to a gunshot, would not raise any strange suspicions for people that are you know otherwise engaged otherwise engaged enjoying their time in a tent because they love tents so much do they do they go to the tent expo i'm willing to bet if there were a tent expo they would be right there in the front of the line trying out all the tents (laughs) oh my gosh guys it's tent con we've got to go to tent con (laughs) i just love tents so much What I love about this shot of the two tent lovers is not so much what's happening in the shot, but what happens immediately after the shot, where we see Max glancing behind him. And I'm sure he's looking behind him because he knows that he's just accumulating more and more pursuers. But it is kind of funny to think, oh... We just saw a couple of naked people, and wouldn't it be funny to think that Max is looking behind him because we all saw naked people, so maybe he's trying to see naked people too? (laughs) Yeah, then he pulls down on the horn. I've always wanted to do that on a Mack truck. Mm Mm-hmm. Was just you know give that a give that a little tug. When when I was a wheelod and I would be riding in a school bus, any time we were on a field trip or any situation where we were out on the highway or on a large enough road where 18 wheelers were coming our way, all of the kids would stick their arms out the window and they would just pump their arms in the air, hoping, hoping against hope that the truck driver would blast his air horn. Nine times out of 10, they did. And we went crazy for that. We loved that when it happened. Yep, we did the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that too. It was a simple pleasure. I think everyone at some point in their automotive ownership imagines that it would be kind of fun to install... a large air horn style horn in their car, even if you're just driving the dinkiest little beater just to 
put this gigantic horn on this tiny little car. My dad had a Geo Metro when I was in high school. <laughs> And I had to drive it for a little while. And I just imagined having the tiny little hatchback and just putting a big old air horn in it to make people freak out when they hear the air horn and then look around and there's no trucks anywhere. I figured it would be like justice. Like if you had two horns, like one that you have your air horn attached, but then you have your regular horn. So if you're just like honking your horn regularly and these people honk back at you and then you just like all of a sudden throw out the air horn at them just, like, <laughs> just to see that look on their face like what the heck oh absolutely this Would is why priceless. it's too bad we didn't have youtube back when we were all younger because now there is a video i saw on youtube where a guy shows how to install custom horns into your car one that's like a nice chirp just to alert like a pedestrian that's in the way of a parking space but then he's like and this one is for those real big jerks and he showed that he had installed an air horn underneath his hood and had put a custom button in just for that and it was not a big car either so we we have the means to do it now nice we have the, the noise and the furious <laughs> max is blaring on this horn and we cut to papagallo who is sitting on the edge of the tire wall around the compound and he just seems to be sitting there fiddling with something, and all of a sudden he hears that horn coming. And he doesn't really have the opportunity to do much more than hear it coming before this minute cuts off. So we'll be able to jump in next week and see what action he takes and how he whips everybody into action and the inevitable mayhem that is going to happen once that truck actually makes it to the compound. Which means that it's time to do our end of the week recap and go over what we talked about earlier in this week and what brought us step by step to this this point and give you guys the opportunity to jump in on anything that you might have missed when we were talking about those other minutes. Monday, we started off with Max getting scolded by the gyro captain before they jumped on that gyrocopter and flew to the rig. Yeah, that gyrocopter, I don't think I would have fit in that thing. I think I would have been scared the whole ride. I'm not a very large person, but I am six foot three. I feel like flying in one of those things would scare the living bejeebus out of me. <laughs> I don't understand how they're able to get two people in that thing. It just looks so flimsy to me mm -hmm. it, and like dangerous with the blade just that close overhead. You yeah. stand up at the wrong time. and It reminds me of the 60s Batcopter with Adam <laughs> West. <laughs> just like... I just feel That's like true. it just it shouldn't work, but somehow it does. And it just yeah, it just I don't think I would be able to do get in that vehicle. I'd be like, nope, staying on the ground. Yep. Two feet planted. <laughs> it was very fun to rewatch this minute with the Blu-ray commentary on it where the gyrocopter flies by in the shot and you hear George Miller say, oh, there goes the gyrocopter with only one seat holding two passengers. <laughs> <laughs> I so apparently know. it was only supposed to be one person oh yeah <sighs> That's that's just and they both lived. That's the good thing. And technically they're holding three passengers because apparently Dog is supposed to be on that gyrocopter as well. Because eventually when they get to the rig, you've got Max, Gyro Captain, and the dog are all there. And it's not like we see Dog running around on the ground after them. So when you see those two figures fly off into the sky, between the two of them there's a dog. <laughs> Probably scared out of its mind. So Tuesday, Max got the truck running and he gave the gyro captain the keys to his shackles before just, you know, leaving him behind. What yep. is with the gyro captain's outfit? I 
keep thinking long john pajamas when i see him with an overcoat it just it's it, it's kind of funny considering all the other outfits we've seen it stands out a lot to me especially the yellow in it mm-hmm. i don't know it's just i think he just got caught unaware and just that maybe that's the only outfit it has yeah he kind of gives him it, it really does look like long johns but i don't know that has that dystopian future maybe that's the only outfit that he could find that was tall enough and skinny enough because he's one skinny dude yep He's six foot seven, so he probably has very short pickings when it comes to clothing that fits. I wear a size fifteen shoe, and so for my picking of shoes, it's very slim. So I could, I could definitely see that he is a very tall man, and I feel like he needs at least five sandwiches at least to put on some weight. He's way too skinny. It's like I think we need to call UNICEF and have him be supported. <laughs> I think he would probably appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. He misses the finer things in life. But I doubt UNICEF would bring him lingerie or clean women, so. <laughs> well, that's that's also true. Well, it, it might be clean women that bring him that stuff. So, you know. Maybe. Kind of trading. And if he's very lucky, they might have some lingerie on. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure (laughs) anyone from UNICEF that would qualify as his type of clean woman better have a toothbrush and toothpaste on them as well. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't let him get anywhere close. Yeah, his teeth do look a little dusty. (laughs) Just a little bit. Yep. So on Wednesday, that's when Max started his run on the Raider camps. We started with him psyching himself out, and then he put that engine in gear and started rolling down the road. And we also got the reveal that the gyrocop is actually following Max in his gyrocopter. And pretty much at the end of that minute, we got Wes whipping the Raider camps up into a frenzy in order to pursue Max. Yeah, and that's one of the funny minutes because you see you have the, um, oh, you have, because you have the Mohawks. What was the other name of the tribe? The police? Oh, the bad cops. The bad cops. Okay. And it's just kind of funny because you see the bad cop get in his car and try to like run into max and then he pushes and then he just kind of bounces off and runs into this truck and then you hear that little the one dude get crushed underneath the truck and you see the little legs kind of like get squished yep and that (laughs) iconic just ah scream i always love those moments because it just makes me chuckle so i have a question since you noticed the scream did you think it sounded a little wilhelm ish a little Uh, it sounded a variant of to me yeah that's kind of what i thought i when it came up in this week's episode i mentioned that to rick and he didn't hear the scream really he didn't hear what i heard so i feel vindicated that you heard what i heard the other thing is those legs that do get crushed i was watching those and it was very it gave me a very halloween feel it i could tell what they were like they looked not quite right to me so that effect just didn't hold up for me i i could tell they seemed like stuffed legs or something yeah they were bent a little weird yeah the foot shouldn't be that much higher than the back of the legs if the knees are in there so (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's funny because i got a bit of a wizard of oz feel with those legs Oh, yeah. Waiting waiting for those feet to curl up and go underneath. Exactly. (laughs) Because you know one of those raiders is going to run over and steal those boots, and then you're going to have the legs just kind of curl up and shrink away. And then it kind of gets to Wes, um, where he's riding on, I guess, that side little, I don't know, side side car. Yeah. And he fires his his little wrist crossbow and takes out tires. Now, I'm watching the clip right now, and I just can't tell how many tires got taken out. So, like, apparently in this universe, you need one arrow to take out four tires (laughs) (laughs) we were looking at it the other day and so you've got four tires 
two in the back, two in the middle. And we think that he took out the middle inside tire is the one that he popped because the one on the middle outside appears to still be intact later on when someone else comes up to fire arrows into the tires. Mm. Interesting. And now is a good time. I have to issue a correction. Okay. From either yesterday or Wednesday, I can't remember exactly when we said it, but we said that there were eight tires on the truck and there are in fact 10 tires. Yeah, I know when I was talking about eight tires the other day, I was talking about eight rear tires. Ah, okay. So I was talking about eight tires in total. Yeah, I probably didn't explain myself very well because that happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But now we're clear on how many tires are on that truck. Better late than never. Yes. So we've already been talking about Thursday a little bit, but on Thursday, Max successfully deflected that one Raider that was trying to sideswipe him. We saw that Wes was able to shoot out one of the truck's tires, which we just mentioned, and then he jumped from the back of the motorcycle he was riding onto the back of the Mack truck, which was... It was actually still from the sidecar. Yeah, it was a very ungraceful leap, but also a very realistic leap. (laughs) Yes, very realistic. It was funny to hear George Miller and Dean Semler watching it in the commentary, because you could tell that as they were watching it happen, they were also getting very nervous for the stuntman, even this many years down the road, because it is one of those stunts where you watch it and you're like, oh no, he he almost legitimately got hurt. Well, if they were on the other side of the truck, he could have gone from the sidecar directly onto the truck instead of having to climb over the other guy. Yeah. That's where it seemed like he started having difficulty. It seemed like an interesting decision for sure. Yeah. Because, like, he really could have shot from the one end and then gone over to the other side just like he did, but switch sides, you know, shoot at the tires and then come around and then jump off of the sidecar. Probably would have been a little bit easier, but you know, I, I watched, the, I just watched that clip, and you yeah, man, that poor stunt guy. Oh yeah, I, you know, he's that like it literally looked like he was about to fall, and then if he did, he would have been legitly just ran over by the car that was following. They were following right behind him with a handheld camera, and you can see the frame of the buggy that they were riding with. If he fell off that truck. If he somehow avoided being sucked underneath the tires of the Mac, he probably would have gotten run over by the buggy that was following them. Oh, that's why I'm not a stunt guy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Safety. Those old stunt guys seem to take a fair bit of risks. I don't think they would have quite done it that way. I, I feel like they would have had some big giant wire running the whole course that that would have been he would have been tied to. But I, I feel like on this one, he just he just jumped for it. <laughs> It was scary. It was a different time making movies in the 80s. Absolutely. That's why they're still so good. They still hold up. They hold up because they were real. Practical effects, everybody. Yep. Practical, not the CGI crap. (laughs) Well, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of this minute and this week. Adam and Jake, it has been great having you guys on. Could you tell our listeners where they can go if they would like to hear more of you? Sure. You can look for us in all podcatchers at Dark Knight Minute and our podcast is starting to take off. We're at about a month's worth of episodes out now. We're up to, we just had Minute 11 come out. And then you can also check us out at our website, geekmindfusion.com. We have all our episodes posted there. We also have movie reviews and some video game reviews that we do. Have a lot of fun stuff going on there. And um, Check us out on Twitter at Dark Knight Min. And also at Facebook at Dark Knight Minute. 
Mm-hmm. Awesome. So as far as next week is concerned, we're going to see how Papagallo is able to spring into action and get the compound a little bit ready for the arrival of Max in the truck. We're going to see that arrival happen. We're going to see a bit of chaos and mayhem erupt and come back next week and we'll uh, watch that together. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com click on the support link at the top of the page and check out our patreon to help us keep the tanks full thank you for joining us for minute 50 of the road warrior have a great weekend